Would you join me tonight in the book of Revelation, chapter 1? And as we look at this passage of Scripture with regard to the revelation of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, this wonderful display, and I, I, I feel ashamed, but in reading some of the writers on this passage, they did too feel ashamed of their inability to grasp all that is here about our great high priest. So I, I hate to say I appreciated that, but I did appreciate that. There's just... It is, it is so wonderful, and I know that's a trite statement, but it's so, this whole block of scripture is so wonderful, a picture of our Savior, our great high priest. And I, uh, as we look at that, I just have to go over to Colossians. Keep your finger in the book of Revelation chapter 1, but turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 2. And in this passage of scripture, we find a wonderful statement about the Lord Jesus, and also as he is portrayed here in Colossians or delivered to us in Colossians and in the book of Revelation, we find our total completeness in him, that there's nothing left out, that he makes us complete, and there's nothing wanting. Uh, we're not pushing up the scale and God's pushing down the scale like one of my favorite Norman Rockwell prints, you know. The scale is... It's been met, and there's no writing on the walls. Thou hast been weighed in the balanced and found wanting. We're declared to be children of God and complete in Him. And as we look at Him in the book of Revelation, we find just how complete we are, that there is absolutely nothing wanting, and every victory that He has and is is ours to enjoy and we stand in that great victory. When he is victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, the church said hallelujah. When we see him victorious over all the enemies in the book of Revelation, all the scary things, you know, he's just, just showing how victorious he is. He's not wanting us to spend a lot of time and trying to figure out what those things are. He wants us to spend our time saying, He's my Savior, and in Him is my victory. Now, whatever they are, there's things that we are don't even know He's won a victory over. We're just thankful He did. And the farther we go, the more we realize what He overcame, and we're just thankful. But uh, some of those things could be called strange creatures, and still, He won the victory over them, and uh, we're just enjoying it. Now, notice here in the book of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9, for in Him, <clears throat> now this has particular wonderful meaning as we look at the Lord Jesus here in the first chapter of the book of Revelation and those pictures, that illustration that's left to us. Uh, this is the Lord. He's not uh, standing at a door knocking with long black hair and a jet black beard and, you know, like we're so common, so used to seeing in pictures. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is him in his glory. And though we see it through a glass darkly. Now, last Saturday, I had a wonderful privilege of going over and seeing my oldest brother and having lunch with him. Picked up Tim. We just had a good time. And he's showing me some old pictures. And 
he knows this person in a picture, and he knows this person in a picture, and he knows this person in a picture, but this person he doesn't know. Now that's looking through a glass darkly. I said that to say this. There's things about the Lord Jesus Christ that we discover as we read his word that makes the picture clearer. And we're just so much the more glad that he has made himself acquainted with us. How we like to find out that we're related to Ben Franklin or George Washington or some horse thief, you know. Well, I'm bragging rights, got bragging rights. My goodness, the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ gives every child of God bragging rights. He is my Savior, and this is his picture, and this is his attitude towards me, and this is his victory over sin. So as we look here in the second chapter of the book of Colossians, there in verse 9 it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now when we look at that beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus in the first chapter, just think of this verse. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. This is the manifestation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in redemptive work for all his people. And it's in open display for us to adore, to love and appreciate. Now, I used to stop at that verse of Scripture, but go to the next verse with me, would you? Go to the next verse. And ye are complete in him. That just makes us shout. You are complete in him. There's nothing undone. There's nothing that needs to be finished. The work is complete. The, the living stone is complete completely polished and fit to be placed in the temple of the living God. So as it says there, in ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. So he's the King, Lord Jesus Christ, and we're complete in him, and we get to enjoy his royalty. We don't have to wait for a letter from the president or the king or the queen to come into his presence, we're invited to come boldly into his presence because he is our king and father at the same time. Now, keeping these verses in mind, that in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in him ye are complete. Let's go over here and look at these verses of scripture in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. It is our prayer and desire to get past the golden candlesticks. I want to get in the midst of them. That's where the Lord is. A church without Christ is a hollow shell. A hollow shell. It's not worth burying. It's already dead. Parched out. No need. So it is our delight and it is our prayer and it is our hope that we get to the midst of them. The church is just hollow without the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there's a verse that I, I have been ruminating on. I, I talked to a lady the other day and she had a project and I said, I got to ruminate on that. And she says, 
What are you talking about? I says, I got to go think about it. I got to get under my shade tree and chew on it. And she says, I am going to remember that word. <laughs> I says, you have to be raised on a farm and see a cow under a shade tree chewing its cud to know what it is. But they just take a break. And sometimes we just need to take a break and ruminate. There's a verse over in the book of Exodus chapter 20 that has always been used as a hammer against me, and that is, take, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And as I think about that, and as I ruminate on that, and people that, and I've done it, that do not look at the Lord Jesus Christ as the sovereign ruler of the universe is taking the name of the Lord God in vain. If we look at the Trinity, and I was looking through some articles of faith, and in fact, several of the books I was reading uh, talking about what's valuable to a church, well, you've got to have the Trinity. Well, if you have a Trinity and a Father that never chose anybody before the foundation of the world, you have a hollow Trinity. And if you have a Son that never purposed to die for a soul, you have a hollow Trinity. You're taking the name of the Lord God and you're in vain. And if you have the Holy Spirit that never purposed to come down and regenerate anybody... I mean, it's all up to man. Then you have the hollowest trinity, and you really take in the name of the Lord God in vain. Because all those things are revealed about him and shared in the scriptures about him. And when we leave them out, we've left out the most valuable part of the trinity. Just having a God that's equal, what is that? But having a God that is equal in redemption, that's to our benefit. And that's looking at God in his wholeness. And in his holiness. So it's not swearing. It is taking it, looking at the Lord Jesus Christ as just a slight something that comes along and, you know, we have to bow to once in a while. Just insincere. So we're going to look at that sometime. But that has a whole lot to do with this passage of Scripture here in the book of Revelation as we see the Lord in his glory, the fullness of the Godhead bodily he came and tabernacled among men he came as the god man now in this passage of scripture we see that the john is going to get to see him and we through the word pictures get to see him in reality soon but in word pictures now we get to see him and it tells us here in verse 12 and i turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Thank God, that's not as far as, John, uh, that's, John got to go farther than that. In the midst, now that's an interesting term. They're in the middle of seven. Now seven is, a, is an odd number, but the Lord can work miracles. He can get in the middle of the oddest. Seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. Now, uh, this is, in the midst is the person and presence of our Savior. Now, turn with me, if you would, over to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel, someday these verses are going to be worth, so that we'll just like that. They're going to be marked over here in 2 Samuel. It's uh, you may not have them highlighted, but your, the oil on your skin will take care of that for you. Second Samuel chapter 23. Now, you, you remember these as David's last words. David's last words. Second Samuel chapter 23, and beginning with verse 1, it says these are the last words of David. 
Now, they're so valuable. They're so grand for us to think about, to ruminate on. This is David coming to the close of his life, and he has this to say about his God. Now, notice this. Chapter 23, verse 1, he says, Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high and anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. And I, I like that because David said, The Holy Spirit gave me the Psalms. It wasn't me, it was the Holy Spirit. And the God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even the morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant ordered in all things, and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Now, I just want us to go over those words again, for this is all my salvation and all my desire. Now, that covenant that David mentions here is the fulfillment of the person that we're looking at here in the book of Revelation. He is all my salvation. Now, I don't want just to go to a covenant written on a piece of paper. I want to look at a person who made that covenant for me. A covenant written on a piece of paper was broken by Israel. But this covenant is a person on the behalf of all his children and he makes it sure, and it will be honored by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and nobody can break it, not even those it is made for. They cannot break it. And they too will be able to say, in time at least, he is all my salvation and all my desire. Now that's who we're looking at here in the book of Revelation. He is the church's desire. He is the people who make up the church's desire. He is all their salvation. This one that we're looking at, this one who fulfills all the demands of the law, this one who is going to go through the book of Revelation on a horse victorious, he is going to extend his strength over all nations. He's going to extend his strength over all peoples. He is going to sift them as Wheat and chaff are separated. He is going to produce his people. They will stand before him in glory. They will sing the great songs of Zion. They will sing, worthy is the lamb that was slain right out of this book. Because he is all my salvation and all my desire. And everything that we read about him in the book of Revelation in this first chapter is the fulfillment, the culmination of all these verses of scripture about him who loved us and gave himself for us. Now look with me as we see this. He's clothed with a robe which reaches to his feet. Now I think it's interesting that the feet are mentioned because there is a verse in the book of Romans that share with us. Now, 
He could have had his feet all covered up and never be mentioned. But it says in the book of Romans, Blessed is he that brings the gospel. Blessed are the feet that bring the gospel. Let's just read that. Over there in the book of Romans, chapter 10 and verse 15, as we see this mighty, holy garment covering our Lord, his robe of righteousness, as we read about in the book of Isaiah. But notice that his feet are mentioned here, and it's, there's no doubt many reasons that his feet are mentioned. But this one catches my eye because it is so true about him that it was he that prompted the deliverance of the gospel on the behalf of his people. He's the one that prompted the gospel to be delivered. It was on his uh, character. It was on his death, his burial, his resurrection. He could prompt the gospel to be brought to every one of his sheep, wherever they are. It was on his security. It was on his down payment. It was on his death. It was on the payment in full by the Lord Jesus Christ that he could do this. Now notice here in the book of Romans chapter 10, and there in verse 15 it says, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. Now here's our Savior in his glorious high priest robe. And what do we get to see? Those beautiful feet of our Savior, which was used to bring us the gospel of how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the feet of him that was crucified for us. This is the feet of him that put away sin for us. This is the feet of him that traveled miles on this earth, did wonderful miracles. And, you know, I don't know how many of them were on the Sabbath day. <laughs> Mike's been helping us go through that chapter there in John and all of that. I mean... He plunked a rock in, and the, the ripples don't get smaller. <laughs> they get larger as they approach the shore. Those, uh, he and I were talking the other day, those Pharisees were just like a spring trap. He dropped a rock on them, and, and they're just coming unglued. I mean, <laughs> he is the gospel personified. He is the gospel walking in among those people. He is the one that that man said. He was blind, born blind, and he healed him. He says, I don't know who it was, but I know whereas I was blind, now I see. And it isn't very long the Lord Jesus comes to appear to him. He could see him. He appeared to him. And then he knew him. How beautiful are the feet of him that brought us the gospel. Now, we, I love the man that brought me the gospel. But he was prompted by God Almighty. It was God that gave him the message to deliver. He didn't create it. It was given to him. He's, he, he will just admit he's just a man. Just a man. And he was prompted to bring the gospel. And I got to hear it. And he will say, as I will say, how beautiful are the feet of the Lord Jesus to bring the gospel, to prompt men and women to share it in its clarity, the simplicity of the gospel. No works added. So how beautiful. How shall they preach except they be sent? And our Lord was truly sent. The covenant of grace brought him down to this earth. 
As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And the church says, hallelujah. I love that noise. It's a clear sound. It's a, it's a trumpet that just stirs my soul. I know what it means. Some people think it's thunder, but it's the gospel of God's glorious salvation. And his purpose was ordained before the foundation of the world. And now we get to see him in his great high priestly robe. And sticking out from under it are those glorious feet. Pierced for me. It wasn't floor length. It's toe length. I like it. Now, going over there, it, it says that robe and... You know, I'm sure there's many things this robe means. We looked last Wednesday about that high priest over in the Old Testament and how immaculate. I was thinking this week, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of mamas saying, I want my boy dressed just like that. <laughs> immaculate, beautiful as Aaron walked by. But you know what? That robe got so splattered splattered with blood linen clothing splattered with blood beautiful hat all those jewels that were on him all the symbols of God's love for Israel the church and here he is and now we see him in the book of Revelation with that beautiful robe of righteousness. Now, it tells us there that around him is a girdle, around, around his breast, and it's gold. It's a golden girdle. He is like Melchizedek. Maybe I should say Melchizedek was like him in this sense. <laughs> I, I believe with every fiber of my being, when Abraham met Melchizedek, he met Christ before he became Jesus. He is the he is the king priest. He's the priest of the most high God, king of Salem, king of peace. That's what it says over there in the book of, of Genesis. And the Abraham came out and met him. Now Abraham's a big man in everybody's eyes, and he's got an army, and he went and whipped a bunch of kings. And got his nephew back. And you know what happened? When he met Melchizedek, he says, I'm going to give you tenths. I'm giving you tithes. Now, it's interesting when we get to the book of Hebrews that that whole picture is imputation. Because in Abraham, Levi paid all his tithes 400 years before he was ever born. Imputed. That's just our Lord and Savior imputing his righteousness to us before the world ever began. It didn't take him to get down here in time. He had already taken care of the issue as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now, he is the king priest. He is king. He's in a high priestly robe. But he has a girdle about him made of gold. There is not one of his church people that would ever deny his kingship. He's king over all creation. That's fine. Everybody believes that. 
He's king over all the critters. Uh, that's fine. Everybody believes that. But he's king over every individual and particularly. I like what is written in, in the New Testament. He says, he is a savior of all men, especially of them that believe. Every man's life is dependent upon him. It is in him we live and move and have our being. Every lost man is dependent upon the very breath of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he is a savior, specially of his elect, in a special way. He is their king priest. He represents them to God. He's the one that stands in the way. He's the one that stands before them. He's the one that could caught all the arrows of justice, the law, sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he absorbed them all, took them all, and came out of that tomb, marked for eternity victorious over all our enemies. And now we see him in his robe of righteousness and his golden girdle of kingship, and we look up and we see his hair. And we mentioned last week, there in the book of the Song of Solomon, he's got black hair. When he came to this earth, he came as man, represented man. He came and he became sin for us. But now... There's not a black hair on his head. He is the perfect, righteous son of God, immaculate. You go through his hair, you will not find one black hair. It is white. It declares and decrees that he is the righteous son of God. It is beautiful, white hair. It's not motley, it's white it tells us there, he says, I saw him in the midst of the candlesticks. I saw him, son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girded about the paps. His head and his hairs were white like wool. And then he goes on to say, if you don't know how white that is, as white as new snow. As white as new snow. And if you don't know what that is, he goes on and tells us there, in, the, in verse uh, 16, the latter part of verse 16, his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now that's how bright he is. That's how white he is. That's how righteous he is. No one can stand in his presence his equal. No one can approach him as equal. Nobody can approach him as equal. In their own self, they cannot approach him. He is so his hair is so white, whiter than any white hair, and it is whiter than any snow, and it is like his countenance is like looking at the sun. Nobody can approach it. Nobody can approach it. Is This is our great high priest. This is our king. He is immaculate in every way. The, we could also say here, as the church did in the Song of Solomon, he is altogether lovely. There's no imperfection. And it is all on my behalf. It is all for me. It is in him I have all my perfection. I am all complete in him. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, as we look here, it says, I saw is a son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps of the breast with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. His eyes flashed like a flame of fire, is what the Amplified says. Black. 
He sees everything. Now that's good. Have you ever been coming up the freeway and you see this light going at night? It's that great big bright beam on a front end of a train going like this, searching. You know, that's a good thing. I'm glad we don't go down a railroad track with no light on that train. It's a good thing. This light that we have in the eyes of the Lord Jesus, he has carried it straight as an arrow. It's between here and glory, and it opens up the way for us. A light for my path. It, his eyes are a flame of fire like radiance. Opened up the path to glory. I press towards the mark. How do we know how to go? The light. It's so evident. It's so open. It's right there. Follow the light. Follow the beam. I'll have to tell you, I should turn this off. <laughs> Nancy and I were just married. We were just expecting Nathan, and I went home. And we were poor. And I told her, we're going to go out and get some meat. Now, it was a, I was accustomed to going out and getting venison at night with a flashlight and a twenty-two. So we went down in the orchard there, and she's holding the light in the car for me, and I went, bang. And that buck I hit followed that beam of light, came up to the fence, and tried to get through the fence to the car. Now, it just saved me a lot of packing. <laughs> Brought it right up the beam of light. Now, that's where we're going. Right up the beam of light. His eyes are as a flame of fire. Now, on the negative side of that, every enemy is going to face the vengeance of those eyes. Every one of his children, they don't face it. He has already faced justice and judgment for us. He will not pour out that vengeance, that flame of fire, that eye on us. He will not give his people the evil eye. He gives them the eye of glory. Eye towards glory, the eye of peace. So the Lord Jesus here is sharing with us, I am the fullness of the Godhead bodily. His his hair, his uh, head was white, white as snow. Eyes were a flame of fire. His feet likened to fine brass as it had been burned in a furnace. We uh, heard there last year at camp, uh, Brother Coffey brought that lesson from the three Hebrew children in the burning fiery furnace. And they saw one in there that looked like the Son of Man. And they came out, you couldn't even smell it. Now, he referred to this verse of Scripture, which I just thought, whoa. Referred to this verse of Scripture. He was. He was in the burning, fiery furnace of humanity and came out refined, beautiful, without sin, without sin. He became sin for us. He was like unto sin, but he committed no sin refined in the refiner's fire. Now, he did that for us. He will not take us through that. Now, the second death will take people through that, and it will never be over. But he will not take his people through that. Now, you may have trials. You may have tests. We may be refined in this world. God may refine us, but we'll never go through that refiner's fire. That was taken care of at the cross. 
when he cried, it's finished. The, the fire was put out for all his people. Now, it goes on here and says, and uh, his voice was the sound of many waters. Now, I like that. I just like that. That means when he gets his people's attention, they can't turn off the radio. They just can't get rid of it. It's such a, a such a, a sound that nothing can interfere with it. I like what the old theologian said about this. They just called it irresistible. That's what they called it. Irresistible. You just can't, you can't turn the TV on and get rid of this sound as the voice of many waters. You can't move and get rid of this sound of many waters. You can't visit and get rid of the sound of many waters. You can't even go to church and get rid of the sound of many waters. It's going to be of such intensity that there's not a thing on this earth. And thank God for it. Thank God that can get rid of that sound of many waters. It will get the job finished. And you know what? It still continues. That voice, the sound of many waters is the Word of God being brought to memory to our souls when we're ruminating, when we're in trouble. What does God bring to comfort us? His voice, His Word. It may not be the Psalms, but it may be. It may be Revelation. <laughs> it just doesn't matter, but He's going to bring that sound of many waters. It is unquenchable. You can't destroy it. And nobody else can destroy it for us. Our activities cannot destroy it. Our sin can't overcome it. It is the voice of many waters. It, is, it just penetrates. It is, it's a sound you'll... It's, it's no wonder people pick up those, those uh, uh, great big shells. I hear the ocean. I hear the ocean. You know how they know that? They've heard the ocean. They've heard the ocean. Once you've heard the ocean, it's a sound you never will forget. It's a sound. And that's the voice of the Lord. It's like the ocean, the sound of many waters. It's a voice you cannot forget. And even in the sound of other voices, I've seen this happen. Little baby cries and mama hears it. Now, other mamas may hear it, but it's not theirs. <laughs> they know when their baby's crying. That's a voice that you just know. All right. Then it says here, he had the voice, the sound of many waters, his right hand, seven stars. And that, that's a reason that's in the right hand. It's the right hand that's got all them sheep. <laughs> It's a right hand that's got all them sheep at. Left hand, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. Right hand, welcome to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, I like being over there. I, just, I don't deserve to be over there, but I enjoy it. I like being over there. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, 
I fell at his feet as dead. Now that's the results of seeing the Lord. I'm not what I once was. John was never the same, and neither is anyone else that has ever seen the Lord, that has ever heard the Lord. They will never be the same. Now, they may throw stones at Stephen, but they'll never be the same. And the one that hear the voice, and God grants repentance, they will never be the same. Never. Now, there's some verses I want to read. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would, please. Hebrews chapter 7. So we think about this high priest in his great high priestly robe that reaches down to the feet and uh, has a golden girdle, royalty, and hair white as wool, white as snow, countenance as the sun that shineth in his strength. Beautiful picture of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. His voice is the voice of many waters. How descriptive those are. Now notice over here in the book of Hebrews, if you would, chapter 7. So we think of this great high priest. We have a description over here in Hebrews chapter 7 of this high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now notice with me here in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, the scriptures say this, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now that's a wonderful description of this high priest we just got to see over here in the book of Revelation. Is after the order of Melchizedek. Then it tells us that without father and without mother. Now isn't that interesting? One more time, we have a wonderful description of our Lord. Without father, without natural father, without natural mother. In the sense, is he without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto us the Son of God, abideth the priest continually. Now consider how great this man was unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are of the sons of Levi, who receive the office of the priesthood, have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they came out of the loins of Abraham. But he whose descent is not counted from them received tithes of Abraham and blessed him that had the promises. And without contradiction, the less is blessed of the better." And here men that die receiveth tithes, but there he receiveth them, of whom it is witnessed that he liveth. And as I may so say, Levi also who receiveth tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Now, isn't that wonderful? Abraham paid the tithes for his great-great-great-grandson, Levi, years before he's even born, and that tithe was imputed, and you never find Levi paying a tithe. His priests never paid tithes. Why? Because they were paid over there in his father Abraham to Melchizedek. What's that mean for us? Christ Jesus imputed his righteousness 
and took all our sin upon himself. We don't have the deal with it. Levi didn't deal with tithes. We don't deal with sin. The only thing we do with sin is, Father, forgive me. That's <laughs> all we can do with it. You can't deal with the least of sin, not alone, the sin that offended God. All we can do is, Father, forgive me. Let the mercy seat be on my behalf. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Father, I've sinned. Forgive me. That's all we can do. But it was taken care of by our great high priest with hair as wool. Great, sharp, two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, voice of many waters with a golden girdle, and his robe reached down to his feet, and all his church bowed down to those feet and say, Thank you, God Almighty, for ever bringing me the gospel of good news that you would take care of sinners. So often we find in the scriptures that the Lord Jesus took care of sin. You know what he did there? He took care of our nature. Our nature. Religion wants us to take care of sins. Quit your drinking, quit your smoking, quit your lying, quit your cheating, quit your, quit your, quit your, quit your. And it never gets to here. Now the Lord takes care of sin, the sin nature. And eventually he'll take care of the sins. They're paid for in full. We continue through this life wrestling with them. But he's taking care of them. Now this great high priest says, all tithes have been paid. I went before the mercy seat and took care of all your sin debt from beginning to the end of the world. Just as that uh, priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now I like, we never found that in fact we find the contrary the Lord Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi he's of the tribe of Judah and it's not going to be long we're going to find out the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed over the seals and the church once again says worthy is the lamb <laughs> the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed He's the priest after the order of Melchizedek in all his glorious splendor on the behalf of his people. And his people will worship him because he has been victorious over all our enemies. And the number one enemy must be put under his feet. And what is that? Me. He will he must reign until he has put every enemy under his foot. Now that's not the devil. That's his elect one still out there running from him. And he will put them under his feet. He will. He'll bring them in. Promise. Promise. All right, we're going to stop there uh, for tonight. We want to look, uh, Lord willing, next time at, as he supports the churches. And uh, what will a church hold as true? We're going to look at seven churches, and a couple of them had some commendations, and one of them says, there's not a thing in there I like about you. <laughs> you know? But what will a church hold as true? And over there in the book of Jude, I had that verse beat into me till I could just, uh, it says, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Never read the next verse. 
for certain men have come in unawares who have turned the grace of our God into lasciviousness. They never read the next verse. That's the problem. That's the problem. Keep the grace of God, the grace of God. Then we don't have a problem.